You are listening to Maghreb in Past and Present Podcasts, a space dedicated to history, art, culture, politics, sociology, anthropology, and many other subjects. This episode is part of the Contemporary Fat series and was recorded on June 21st, 2019 at the Centre d'études Maghrebina Tunis Semat. In this episode, Fatim Zuhra Al-Malki, PhD candidate of philosophy in Oriental Studies at Mansfield College at Oxford University, talks about the monopoly of criminal justice and the formulation of state-society relations in Morocco. Today I will be talking about the monopoly of criminal justice and uh, the formulation of state-society relations in Morocco. My paper really is an attempt at understanding the mechanisms of violence and of repression embedded in Morocco's legal system across time and their effect on notions of uh, citizenship and political engagement among Moroccans. What I would like to do really is to disentangle this idea that national unification processes necessarily come with increased citizenship rights and freedoms. The idea here is to deconstruct, in a broader sense, the enduring myth that citizenship rights are best exercised in modern states and contemporary societies. In my analysis of the legal system in Morocco, in particular its criminal justice system and the ways in which punishment has been administered prior to colonization until now, I argue that increased unification, in the sense of territorial unification, had the counterintuitive effect of alienating the subject citizen from political life. So instead, the Moroccan went through a process of bureaucratization. These transformations of the criminal justice system were instrumental in the making of the new Moroccan citizen. It's one that carries the hybrid attributes of both citizen and subject. And actually, Professor Mabtoul's discussion of these themes is essential to understanding how this hybridity functions in everyday practices. In addition to looking at the criminal system, I also look at the Moroccan Penal Code, or the PC, as the main vehicle of this violence of the law. Instead of being an instrument of protection, as its essence bears, the PC is actually moved by a very repressive logic that covers the broadest range of crimes and offenses, from terror to freedom of association and press, personal liberties, and a lot of other crimes. The PC that forms the basis of the one in use today, and that's quite interesting, was promulgated in 1953 at the highest of repression against the nationalist movement and three years before Morocco's independence. This really brings us closer to our theme today of legitimacy and how um, scholars and theorists have now adapted their ways of working with this mutant concept. I argue that the relationship between citizen and state is characterized by the progressive alienation of the citizen from the state. And this process began in pre-colonial Morocco. It was transformed during the French protectorate between 1912 and 1956 and it aggravated in the recent decades. By exploring each of these time frames independently, I found that the Mahsen's gradual monopoly over judicial power, which really began before the protectorate, placed a chokehold on the sphere of checks and balances between the citizen and the state. Despite the various legal reforms that have touched the personal status code laws and the press codes in Morocco, for example, the criminal justice system has yet to be reformed. The government halted some measures to reform the PC in 2015. And again, what's most interesting here is that there have been parallel processes 
such as those under the governance scheme, for example, that continue to ignore the deep fractures that color the state-society relationship. The notion of implementing new legislation on top of the existing one has called quite uh, some legal confusion, begging the question of whether there is a legal logic to reform. Broadly, prior to 1912, the administration of justice was the realm of tribal leaders and religious figures. The administration of customary law, which originated from a combination of Amazir, Arab, Islamic, and African sources, did not really include criminal matters, and in most cases, these remained under the jurisdiction of the Mahzen. I believe that the Mahzen's administration of justice on criminal matters and the monopoly of punishment in pre-colonial Morocco served two major roles. One, it did not only serve to legitimize the Mahzen's power over the territory and the population, but it also contributed to the expansion and unification of this territory. By claiming the administration of criminal justice, the Mahzen in turn claimed the monopoly of violence, which is a critical constituent of state formation and power consolidation. When administrated by the tribe itself, however, criminal punishments were a completely different nature. David Hart's extensive studies on the penal code of customary law in the Atlas regions showed the crucial importance given by the Suessa tribes to notions of collective responsibility and resorting to co-jurors. When administered by the tribe itself, however, criminal punishments were a very different nature. David Hart's extensive studies on the penal code of customary law in the Atlas regions showed the crucial importance given by the Suessa tribes to notions of collective responsibility and resorting to co-jurors, for example. As an example, an accused murderer of, or thief had to provide, in some instances, as many as a hundred co-jurors to corroborate his claim of innocence. Fines? coupled with strictly enforced collective responsibility, appear as an important deterrent and in a way they may have served as harsher sentences for the criminal than modern practices of imprisonment. And more importantly, the administration of criminal justice at the local level centered the community's role in the making of legal decisions and by extension of their political engagement. As the Mahzen gained allegiance of larger sections of the territory, through force and taxation mainly, the state also began to reorganize and modernize the public administration in a last desperate attempt at consolidating sovereignty. But while the Mahzen has already began to weaken customary law, French rule further erased the role of the individual in earlier modes of decision-making and with the enforcement of a mixed legal system. A second attribute of this period was the marked broadening of the spectrum of criminality through the expansion of what were considered crimes and uh, offenses. Some were copied on metropolitan French law, but most were inventions to serve the needs of the protectorate. This broadening of the scope of uh, criminality brings about the whole weight of the violence of the law understood by Walter Benjamin and others. The broadening of the scope of criminality brings about the whole weight of the violence of the law as understood by Walter Benjamin and others. Going back to Hart's discussion of the destruction of the customary law under the French system, this is true, but it's still incomplete. And Catherine Hoffman's study actually shows the high degree of sophistication in the pervasive and incoherent slash convenient weakening of customary law, but also of Islamic law under the protectorate. 
the fundamental changes that occurred with the so-called modernization of justice during and after French rule brought about the true beginnings of the confrontation between state and society. By 1912, the French colonial powers had engaged in ferocious pacification battles to expand their rules across regions of Morocco, and alongside they worked to weaken the Arab Islamic and Amazigh judicial systems. As early as 1913, the French reorganized the whole legal administration based upon the differentiation not only between the Frenchman and the Moroccan, but also attempted to institutionalize and perhaps even construct the distinctions among the Moroccans themselves. Isle Grand Maison, who actually theorized these questions in the Algerian case, where the differentiation system was most obvious. By 1918, the French allocated decisional power to caids and pashas, these are auxiliary agents of authority, by launching what could be described as the bureaucratization of public space. The fact that this law authorizing caids and pashas to actually penetrate personal spaces to monitor the sanitary situation of buildings and houses shows how the law allowed for the quasi suppression of the boundaries between public and personal space. The fact that the first extension of their prerogatives was by allowing them to penetrate the personal space is also quite significant in itself both symbolically but also in concrete terms and by institutionalizing such actions the protectorate launched the machine of the pervasive luring of the public private domain domains that um, ensued if the system of criminal justice especially stands out it is in the ways that colonial authorities weaponized its legal fabric especially during the final years of the french protectorate and in an effort to crush nationalist ambitions for independence in 50 the first Moroccan penal code was enacted during quite an ambiguous period marked by violent repression targeting the Moroccan subjects, aspirations for self-determination, and also during Sultan Mohammed V's fourth exile to Corsica and Madagascar. The Moroccan penal code can serve as a useful object of analysis for tracing how the modern Moroccan state used the criminal system to deepen its power following independence, uh, in that this code actually constitutes a space for the legal expression of political will. And the fact that the penal code of 53 served as the main point of reference for the drafting of one used in 62, uh, still in use today, raises further questions on issues around reform and of the administration of law in post-colonial contexts. At independence, the reform of the judiciary did not include anything but cosmetic reforms to the PC, except for the extension of certain prerogatives. And from 62 onwards, of course, there have been some amendments, but no substantial changes and reforms did not pass. At independence again, for the first time in Morocco's history, which was previously divided into different zones and occupied by different entities, there was a new territorial unity that fell under the same legal regime. And with the expansion of Morocco's sovereignty throughout the majority of the territory, there was also a unification of the judiciary alongside the unification of the territory, except that this unification followed the same logic of the past. The issue I mean to raise here is on the implications of Morocco's decision to continue to revive the legacy of a system fully and inherently designed by the colonizer. So how did Morocco reclaim the legitimacy of the criminal system really is the question that animates this debate.
With regards to how criminal justice has affected the understanding of citizenship, I would say it is through the slow destruction of the social fabric of trust and loyalty and through the obstruction of the necessary checks and balances. Today, the PC remains at the core of a security apparatus that sets the boundaries between the citizen and the state. And over time, an already repressive code went through amendments that further restricted the scope for citizen participation. Calls for reforming the code have been unanswered, most likely because the proposed reforms did not emanate from the deep state itself. Reforming the system would mean transferring the discursive monopoly of violence outside of the scope, and that could really shake the safeguarded equilibrium of power. Thank you for listening to Maghreb in Past and Present Podcasts. Other episodes are available on our website, www.themaghrebpodcast.com, as well as on iTunes and Podbean. For more information on our podcasts, like our Facebook page, Maghreb in Past and Present Podcasts, subscribe to the Semat newsletter at www.sematmaghreb.org, or visit the webpage of the American Institute for Maghreb Studies. See you soon for a new episode.